this morning, we're going to wrap up the series on supernatural blessing. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Most of the series that I preach are for me. You just get to listen in on them, all right? Um, because we all need the encouragement from the Word of God. And I'm trying to keep it as real and relevant as possible, and I hope that uh, I hope it laid some foundation for you. But we're going to end strong today, and I've asked for some help this morning, uh, and so we have the opportunity to hear from one of our beloved associate pastors here. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to give your loudest living stones welcome and appreciation for all that he does, but for Pastor Andrew Ming as he comes to share this morning. Pastor Andrew! Woo! <laughs> we love you! Love you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Now, I have the privilege of ending our series on supernatural blessings. And uh, I get to preach on something that's very close to my heart, is relationships. It's building a Christ-centered community. I'm going to be using that phrase a lot, Christ-centered community. And um, I'm going to use, but I'm going to abbreviate it to CCC. So if I say CCC, you know what I'm talking about. It's a Christ-centered community. Community. You know, I have lots to say about this topic. I have lots in my brain, my own experience, the things I want to share. But before I did all that, you know, I want to go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, what is really on your heart? You know, I don't want this message to come from my brain. I want it to come from the heart of God. And when I saw, took some time and, and sought the face of God, and this was download, downloaded to my spirit, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He says, my people need to know how great of a blessing it is to be in a Christ-centered community. It's literally heaven on earth, as it should be. It's a Christ-centered community. But he also said to me, the problem is many people don't know how to enter into it because they don't know the cost. They have never counted the cost of, of building, of coming into a Christ-centered community. And the failure here is the failure of expectations. Um, you know, I just want to talk about relationships in general. You know, even in our divisive culture in America today, okay, in general, we still, everyone still looks at relationship positively. Like, like we all want and crave a good, good relationships, a good community. Does that make sense? I, I don't think I know anyone who says, oh, I, my, my son, my daughter, my family, I, I don't want a good relationship with them. I don't want a good community with them. We all recognize and value and know that we need great relationships. We need great community. But if that's the case, why is it that so few of us actually have it? Why is it that even in the Western, um, Western civilization, the last couple of decades, the isolation and the loneliness index has skyrocketed, even though we're more connected than ever on social media? Why is it, where's the disconnect between our longing and our craving to be known and to know others and to be authentic and, and the reality, which is most of us are not connected and most of us are by ourselves. We feel so isolated and ever. And I want to get to this point and I feel like the, 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 the reason for this disconnect is in the power of expectations. It's a lack of expectations. So stay with me here. I want to start by talking about the power of expectations. Now, if you want to lead people well, you want to uh, be successful in life, you have to understand the laws of expectation. You have to understand how to utilize expectations to set people up for success. Now, I'm going to go use a very general example to talk about how the power of expectations changes your perception on reality. Okay? Have any of you go see a movie before? And it's not a great movie. Everyone knows it's not a great movie. In fact, it's been trashed by everyone you know. They told you it's the worst movie ever. You're an idiot to go even watch this movie. And you go watch the movie, and it just wasn't, it was bad, but it wasn't like bottom of the barrel bad. And you walk out of the movie theaters thinking, I kind of had a good time. 
Like, because my expectation was so low. And then you see, you go see this, like, critically acclaimed movie that everyone prays uh, through the roof, uh, huge hype around this movie, and you went to see it, and you're like, well, it was good, but it wasn't quite that good. And you walk out of the movie theater thinking, you know what, I kind of enjoyed that bad movie more <laughs> because of the power of expectation. Jesus actually talked about expectation in his parable. He was talking about discipleship. He said, suppose the king is going to go to war against another king. Well, he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men opposed to one coming against with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. See, Jesus, what was doing here, he was exercising a powerful leadership principle. See, sometimes when you lead people, you focus on the reward. All you do is talk about how great the reward will be, but you don't talk about the cost. So what happens is people go on this journey, and when they hit speed bumps and difficulties, they're like, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. No one told me about this cost, and they give up and they fade away. Now, sometimes other people focus so much on the cost and not the reward, so no one goes on this journey because they're like, I'm not motivated. There's no reward ahead of me. There's no passion for this journey, and the journey is difficult. But what Jesus did is what we all should do is focus on both the cost and the reward, right? Jesus is saying, if you come and be my disciples, this will be the best thing ever. Your reward is endless. This is the richest thing you could do for your life to come and follow me. But at the same time, he's not sugarcoating it. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to give up everything, everything. Take up your cross and follow me. So he's leading people by giving them cost and the reward. Does that make sense? So what does this have to do with relationships? I want to give you a quick example, uh, just a quick plug for marriage class. You know, as a single young man, a decade ago, I used to go to marriage class religiously every Sunday I went to marriage class. And when I first went to marriage class, they did this series called Love and War. Anybody remember that? Love and War, John Nelridge? You know, it was the first time in my life I heard marriage referred to as war. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and that series, along with testimonies and teachings, gave me the proper expectation for marriage. In other words, my, my understanding of marriage came from, like, movies, okay? That's not very real, realistic expectations. But when I sat through those series, <laughs> amen. But when I sat through that series, I realized, wow, there is a real battle going on. Okay. In fact, every time when I hit conflict with my wife and I, I remember love and war. Now, the war wasn't against each other, so just to clarify that. The war is against your own flesh. And every time Bishop said, Bishop is Pastor Ron's dad who's planted and started this church. He used to lead marriage class. He's since passed away. But every time Bishop said, you have to die to yourself, that expectation was etched on my brain, on my neurons. So when difficulties come up, I remember his face popping up in front of me saying, Andrew, you got to lay your life down. And that expectation was, is one of the major reasons that my marriage has been successful is because I have counted the cost. I know exactly what I'm getting into. So when I hit difficulties, I can handle it. That is the power of expectations. Most people fail at relationships, deep, authentic relationships. Most churches fail at building a Christ-centered community is because they don't talk enough about the expectations. We talk about how great relationships should be, how we all need to have great longings and, and belongings and knowings and communities. So we all venture after her, we, we go after her, and inevitably we hit speed bumps. 
Okay, inevitably we're going to hit sin and being let down by other people and disappointment and selfishness and all this stuff gets flared up. And we're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. This is too difficult. I don't want to deal with this. So we retreat into ourselves. We say once again, I'm not built for relationship. I don't really want relationship. I'm better off by myself. However, if someone has set the proper expectation for you, told you exactly the cost and the difficulties you'll face, but at the same time there's a great reward at the end, what happens when we hit difficulties, you'll be like, you know what, someone already told me this was going to happen. So we can pick ourselves back up, learn from our mistakes, and keep pursuing. Does that make sense? That is the power of expectations. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to be straightforward. In the first half of my sermon, I'm going to set proper expectation for a Christ-centered community. Okay? And then at the end, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to incentivize you. I'm going to tell you what's at stake. I'm going to tell you the reward and the blessings and, 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 and the, the glory of God that comes through this Christ-centered community. So to probably set the expectation, I'm going to actually ask my wife to come up to share. Come on, Debbie. Give her a hand. Grab that mic. Come on up. You know, I have my wife share because uh, if you know anything about my wife, she will be considered a people person. In other words, she likes people. She enjoys people. Um, something I need to learn a lot from her. And you would think that Debbie would just flow into a Christ-centered community like fish and water. She just, it should be a natural at it. But it wasn't. It was difficult for her. And, and I, wanna, I don't want to share her testimony, but she shared her story. I just think she will set the proper expectation of what that looks like. So go ahead, babe. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was just listening to Andrew, and I'm like, why didn't we have, we had marriage class, but we didn't have, like, friendship class back in the day. So as I'm reading from my notes to you, because I, I don't do this a lot, um, I'm just like, this would have been a lot helpful nine years ago, but it's okay, it's okay, I'm in a good place now. So um, just to give you a quick background, I moved to Indiana from Virginia back in 2011, so keep up with the dates here. Um, That's nine years ago. And I loved everything about Living Stones and was super excited about diving into the community. I went to every meeting and class possible that would let me in, was faithfully committed to a life group. I went even though I cried right before and didn't want to go, but I went. And eventually I took on some leadership positions. So I think that was pretty decent involvement for a churchgoer. But um, I'm supposed to be talking about expectations. So um, I think when I thought about it, my expectation coming into Living Stones was basically that participation over time would lead to the kind of relationships that I longed for, which was like everything that Andrew's been talking about. And I wanted that like friends that stick closer than a brother or sister kind of relationship. But it took the next two years after coming for me to just get to the point where I didn't feel like an outsider, if that makes sense. Like progress, right? But it was very slow progress. So I came in two years later, I'm like, okay, I kind of feel like I belong here. Fast forward five years later, I mean, I'm talking in years, I mean, it doesn't seem like a long time talking about it now, but five years in it was a long time, and I probably will cry when I'm up here, so I'm just warning you. Anyway, so five years later, I had developed pretty great relationships. I mean, um, we loved each other, the ladies and I, we shared a lot of memories together, but I started to enter into a season where I found myself struggling, like more than ever before, 
just really breaking down in all arenas, like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and even physically. And I was sitting in a meeting here at church, surrounded by amazing, God-loving people, when it struck me that not one single person surrounding me at that table really knew who I was. And I didn't really know anyone to that degree either. So all these years together. But I realized quickly that that was nobody's fault but my own. I wasn't a victim, and it was up to me to go after what I wanted. So I'm glad it finally dawned on me that I needed deeper connections, and I really wanted an inner circle. So I had a great outer circle, but I wanted that inner circle. And I wanted people other than Andrew to battle with me, because I think he's, you know, he has his limits. Um, yeah. I'm a little much, but... Um, so I needed other women to link arms with me at my most painful moments because it turns out that participation over time only gets you so far. So I, I truly made it my mission to pursue an inner circle, ladies who knew my heart to greater depth and vice versa. And it was really a priority. It was like God, family, friends. Like, I don't even... That's weird. It's not like work or money or anything. It was friends. So I started scheduling one-on-ones, um, being intentional, I tried to be more vulnerable, started getting to know people's stories, and just tried to connect on multiple levels. And honestly, it was not easy. I think I get along well with people, but getting deep with people was just not easy. So even just finding time to meet with people was and still is difficult. If I've told you I would love to get together, and five months later we still haven't gotten together, uh, that's just how it is with young family. Um, yes. So... And you can't force people to connect with you. Surprise. <laughs> it has to happen naturally, or as I found, supernaturally. But um, I think the hardest part through this entire process was that I had to come face to face with myself. My own immaturities, insecurities that were otherwise hidden in my more casual relationships. The closer I got to people, the more junk was exposed in my heart. Some of real real here, um, I have my list. Pride came out, judgment, competition, rejection, a lot of misconceptions, even some childhood issues started stirring up. Um, just not pretty things. And it was kind of reminiscent of middle school all over again. And I'm just going to quote some of the thoughts that literally did pop into my head. How come I didn't get an invitation to that get-together? Maybe she likes her better than me. And I don't know, maybe this is a girl thing. I don't know if you guys experience this, but I'm like, it's real. Okay. Ah, I just shared really deep. I wonder if people don't respect me anymore because I was vulnerable. So all that stuff started surfacing, um, but it makes sense that if I want healthy relationships, I have to be healthy myself. And deeper relationships, much like marriage, like Andrew was talking about, tend to bring out the best and the worst of us. It gives us an opportunity to grow up, and what I thought was a road to friendship was actually a road to identity in Christ and inner transformation. I'm going to cry. Anyway, it's sneaky like that. So I chose. I chose to communicate more, repent more. I can do this. Humble myself, and I think that was the hardest part. Um, face my deeper emotions to ask myself why I felt that way. Um, 
and allow God to enlarge my capacities to love and understand people. Um, and you know, things didn't change overnight, obviously. Um, in fact, there was a really low moment during that time when I wanted to move back to Virginia. Probably my dad would be happy hearing that. But um, it was out of discouragement and isolation. But I didn't give up. My friends were always there, even though there were moments that I felt like they weren't. And slowly but surely, those relationships did deepen and flourish. Page two. Um, okay, so this next part might, might be a little far-fetched, but I thought about what this journey for me was like, and I pictured the Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? <laughs> it's an epic saga. It's amazing, and you, there's so many lessons in it, but um, thinking about relationships, basically you take a bunch of people with completely different backgrounds, um, unsure they can trust each other, slap them with the same mission, and tell them that the fate of the world basically depends upon their success, right? <laughs> but that, to me, is real life. It's the church. We are here to carry out God's mission. There's a lot of battles to fight along the way, and we can't do it alone. And these relationships have to progress and be tested in order to become that steadfast. We can't give up when it gets tough. And for example, Gimli, the dwarf, I wanted to say gnome, but there are no gnomes in Lord of the Rings, right? So I think he's a dwarf. And Legolas, the elf, started with, like, they didn't like each other. It was animosity, prejudice, competition, pride. And they could have quit on the mission at any point. But over time, I'm pretty sure it's like over 11 hours in the movie. Um, I know. That's not real life. Um, but they gradually transformed to the point where they were honored to fight and potentially die side by side as friends. And even Sam and Frodo, if you watch their um, relationship, they had their ups and downs too. But their relationship basically survived going through hell and back. And if you watch the battle scenes, they're really inspiring. That's the kind of community I want to be in, fighting together, yeah, just destroying the enemy. So I don't have to go, or I don't have time to go into all the analogies, but that's pretty much a picture of what it felt like at times to forge the kind of relationships that I wanted. I didn't have to pursue it, but I chose to. And that means I had to face the ugly parts in my heart and allow the Lord to transform me. Otherwise, the mission to love would basically fall flat. So I will end by saying, after all that, I am now surrounded by sisters who would go to hell and back with me. Let me cry. Woo! Woo, thank you, all you. Yeah. Yeah. Who've seen my strange ways and accept me anyway, who extend grace when I screw up. That's probably the best part of it. Um, who give me perspective when fear creeps in, who are strong when I'm weak, and who are a critical part of filling my joy tank. Um, I know it's unavoidable, we'll be tested along the way, I'm sure, but I know my expectation is that just comes with the territory. So I have found that the blessings of covenant friendships really do outweigh the painful moments, and to me that is worth fighting for. Amen, amen. All right, so there's no marriage class today. You guys have, just kidding. No, I got another 20 minutes. I'm not going to let you go. It's a good job. Good job, babe. Well done. Um, enough said about setting proper expectations. You know, it doesn't matter if you are a 
people person like my wife or if you're a loner like myself, um, you will be stretched if you pursue a Christ-centered community. You will be stretched. I love the analogy of Lord of the Rings, not just because I love Lord of the Rings, but the idea that relationships are forged. They are forged. Christ-centered community is forged in fire. It should be forged. I want to get, get that mentality, that picture in your head. It needs to be forged together. We're not a social club. We don't get together and just, you know, play ping pong or whatever. We can't do that. But we're here because there is some, there's a greater purpose, greater than ourselves. You know, um, I want to quickly talk about three guidelines. Um, really, in the case, the DNA of our, of our church, of Living Stones, um, of how we view community, and really the expectation we have of each other, uh, of ourselves in a Christ-centered community. Um, I want to quickly go over this. The first one is, we have each other's best interests in mind. You know, when I first came to this church, Pastor Ron mentioned something to me. He said, I am committed to your success. I am committed to your success. You know, that phrase was etched in my memory because it means that in our relationship, there is no angle, there's no manipulation, there's no strings attached, there's no agenda that he's for me, that he's not back there scheming on how he can use me or whatever. No, he's connected to my success. I don't ever have to look over my shoulder. Um, even if we differ on things, even if we have disagreement, his heart is for me. You know, this also means that we reject the notion of the win-lose relationship as in, like, if I'm promoted, it'll make him look bad or, or, or competition or anything like that. We reject all of that. In fact, you know, Paul in Romans says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. I, I think that's such a great analogy how relationships should be like, that we are committed, we are attached to someone else's success so that when they become successful, when they win, I win. Literally, there are guys, there are men in my life that when they win, when they get a promotion, I feel like I got a promotion. When they got a great job, I, I'm so happy because I feel like I got a great job. But at the same time, we mourn with those who mourn. You know, if you fail or, or there's a loss in your life, then I mourn with you. That should be the default status, understanding of our relationship. So that's the first one, to have the other person's best interest in mind. The second one is this, is we actually confront issues. We actually deal with issues. You know, I've been part of communities in which no one ever talks about any issues. No one ever have any confrontations. And what that does is it causes, it stirs up this underlying tension, which I call passive aggressiveness, okay? Like everyone's walking on eggshells around each other. I want to tell you, passive aggressiveness and intimacy cannot exist in the same place. If you want intimacy, you have to get rid of all passive aggressiveness because one day it's going to blow up in someone's face and it's going to cause some type of fissure, some kind of division, and it just won't work. You know, um, Jesus actually talked about this in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother or sister sin, point out their faults just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. You know, my pastoral counsel to conflict issue is this. If you have an issue with somebody, first take it up to Jesus. Okay, I've done this before. I'm offended. I'm upset. I go to the Lord with this, and I realize it has nothing to do with the other person. It's all me. And I can take it to the Lord, and I can repent. And I can resolve this issue. I don't need to get the other person involved in this. However, if you take it up to the Lord and realize there is a sin issue, there is a conflict you cannot resolve, you got to go deal with it, then don't tell everyone else about it. Go to that one person and talk to them first. We deal with conflicts. You know, no, my wife and I, um, we, we, 
we, we, have, we have had different people live in our house. We've been married for eight years. I thought about this. For over seven years, we have had young people live in our house for us to mentor and love and care for. And I don't have a lot of rules. The one rule I have in my house, okay, is if you live with me, you need to confront issues. Because what I don't want is walk through my door and feel that tension in the air. You know what I'm saying? That invisible tension. I don't want my kids to grow up in that atmosphere, and I don't want to be in that atmosphere. You know, the problem is most people don't know how to deal with that. They either don't deal with conflicts, never com- confront anything about anybody, or they treat every confrontation like a Western showdown, like somebody has to die, okay? It is not true. At Living Stones, I have learned some of the best growth comes from healthy, godly confrontations. And Pastor Ron is especially good at that. I'm still learning from him. You know, we actually have a term for it. We call it giving each other the last 10%. And we know how often growth happens within the last couple percentage. Some of my best friendships were forged out of great confrontations. So that's the second guidelines is we actually confront issues. The third one is this, and this is the toughest one, at least for me. Uh, we think the best of each other and we don't take an offense. Okay. This means we take the definition of love seriously. You know, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, love does not delight evil, but rejoices with the truth, always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love means that we think the best of the other person, especially when we don't know the whole story. And how many of you know we rarely know the whole story? We don't jump to the worst possible conclusion all the time. And this is difficult for me because, like I mentioned in first service, my middle name is jumping to conclusions, okay? I love jumping to conclusions. I can't help myself. I think I know the whole picture. And I jump to the worst possible conclusion. And that's why my, God has blessed me with Debbie in my life because she just starts poking hold my balloons. You know, sometimes I get, a, you know, I get an email or I get a text. I'm annoyed. I'm upset. I'm, I feel like a five-year-old just pouting like, oh, someone made me, someone made me angry. And I just want my wife just take my side, pick on the fence, and join me in this crusade against the other person. Come on. You're my wife. You're on my team. She would have none of it, okay? She would say, you don't know their side of the story. Have you talked to them? No, I haven't talked to them. I'm annoyed at them. I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> but you know what? She just started like, she start preaching the truth at me. You don't even know their tone of voice. It's a text. It's an email. Call to, talk to them. Call them. Think the best of each other. And if I would pick on the fence, she would say this. Super annoying. Super annoying. I'm glad she's not in the room. <laughs> She'll say, you can pick up this offense, but that's on you. Don't blame the other person. That's your choice to pick up this offense. I hate it, but then I love it. And you call yourself a pastor. No, she didn't say that. But I know she's thinking it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Anyways, this is what it takes to build a Christ-centered community, okay? We are committed to each other's success, okay? We actually deal with issues. How's that for a change? Confront issues. And we think the best of each other, okay? We give each other the benefit of the doubt, and we refuse to pick on the fence. And this is difficult. This takes a lot of work, okay? Communities don't build itself. It's like building a building. It doesn't build itself. You need vision. You need commitment. You need growth, Okay, and as I share, you know, by no means have I mastered this. I am still learning, growing. I have lots to learn, and we don't expect that from all of you. But what we do focuses on, and not perfection, but we focus on growth. 
We're vision driven, okay? If we screw up, we pick ourselves back up, we repent, and we move on, and we keep pursuing Christ-centered relationship. So that's the first 50%, okay? The last 10 minutes I'm gonna talk about, I'm gonna really rush to this. I wanna tell you about the blessings, the rewards that God wants to funnel through Christ-centered community. And this is the best part. This is the fun part. The first one is this. Christ-centered community will keep you on the path to life. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. There are many things in our life that determines the trajectory of your life. It determines what direction you're going to go and who you're going to be. On top of that list is your friends. On top of the list are those who you associate with. I don't think we realize how much we are influenced by our friends. I don't think we realize this. There's a couple studies I want to cite I thought was kind of funny. Um, there's one study that they, they tracked 12,000 people over 32 years. They found that if you knew someone, if you're friends with someone who's obese, there's a 57% chance, increase in chance that you become obese. Check this one. I thought this one's even better. They found a study, there's a study that they found that the higher your best friend's IQ is when you're 11 or 12 years old, the higher your IQ will be when you're 15 years old. Everyone's thinking about who was my best friend in middle school? <laughs> Who's that guy? Is that guy's fault? No, it's not. The point is we copy each other's humor, their uh, body language, we copy each other's sense of uh, fashion, um, even the words they say without even knowing. You know, I call my wife babe, babe, B-A-B-E. One day I was like, why do I call my wife babe? Like my parents don't call each other babe. Her parents don't call each other babe. And I realized I stole that from Pastor Marion. <laughs> never in my mind I'm thinking I'm going to steal that from Pastor Marion. I just like absorbed it. I'm like, I'm going to call my wife babe one day because she calls Pastor Ron babe. Like we steal words from each other. You know, I made a quick list, check this out, I made a quick list of all the things I would never, ever do in my life except for the people around me. The first one is fitness, okay? You know, in my house right now, I have one guy, Sean McPhillips, who's, who, just, who, who finished the Ironman last year, the Ironman race, you guys know what the race is, the crazy marathon, crazy race. And then I have Chase and Sarah who are training for the Ironman. Now, none of them ever came to me and say, would you like to do the Ironman? I would say, no, I would not. But... <laughs> just by in proximity with them has elevated my standard for fitness. I'm not just talking about exercising. I'm talking about diet. I'm talking about stretching, icing your knee. I see Sarah icing her knees. I'm like, I should ice my knees. You know, <laughs> Chase is there uh, getting the omega-3, uh, filling the pills omega-3. I'm like, I should take some omega-3s. I actually had a business plan. I'm going to rent out these guys. If whoever wants to get in shape, I'll rent out these guys to live in your house for like $10 a week. If you want to get in better shape, just get in proximity. Here's Chase. Here's Chase can live with you for $10 a week and you just get healthier because of the proximity of people who are getting in great shape. You know, speaking of diet, I would never, ever do the keto diet. It weren't for the fact that my wife was on the keto diet. Again, she never said, hey, Andrew, why don't you try the keto diet? I would say, no, I would not want to be on this diet. But just watching her and seeing her do it, I got sucked into that world. I, me on the keto diet? Are you kidding me? You know, no carbs? Ugh. Uh, but I did it for like three months, and it changed my diet, changed my mindset. You know, I, 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 10 years ago, I didn't even know how to use a power drill. Like, literally, I didn't even know how to use a power drill. The best thing I got is the, the, the manual screwdriver, like taking things out and taking, putting things back in. But now I'm like helping with remodeling my basement, fixing different things. You know why? It's because I'm surrounded by handyman's contractors. All these guys, all they do is talk about lumber and this and that. And I'm like, I might as well learn, learn something about this. You know, I started a business flipping homes and renting homes. 
I would never, ever do that on my own. It's because I have friends who are realtors and investors and all these different things. Our friends change our lives. Here's my bottom line. If you want to value a certain lifestyle, okay, if you look at this value, you're like, I want that to be me. It's hard. Uh, it's gonna, I have to really focus, but I want that value to be my value. Then find a group of friends in which this value this lifestyle is the normal behavior. So for example, if you want to read your Bible daily, that's like a value of mine. I want to know my word of God. Then find a group of friends who truly value the word of God. If you want to make sure that you're growing in your faith, then become friends of those who truly treasure God's presence. If you want to make sure you're leaving a spiritual legacy, if that's important for you, then you better go find a group of friends who are intentional about making disciples. And hang out with them all the time. Then you will naturally absorb, okay, that culture and that value. You see, there's no victims in the kingdom of God. You get to pick your friends. And by picking your friends, you get to pick the trajectory of your life. You have that choice. You have that ability to. You know, for me, the pursuit of a godly life is interwoven to all my relationships I have friends who will not let me fail. I have friends who will kick me in the butt if I just even lean on moral failures. I have friends who will yank me back if I even think about giving up, and I won't let them either. If you pursue a Christ-centered community, then you get the blessing of having a tribe who will lock arms with you and says, I am committed to your success. That is one of the greatest blessings of a Christ-centered community. I want to quickly go to the second one. In a Christ-centered community, you can make sure you are bearing fruits. You know, I want to make the story quick. I, I was at my brother-in-law's house the other day, and I ate figs, figs for the first time. The fruit, figs. Uh, I never had fresh figs before, okay? I had like the, the, the dry figs, and it's kind of gross to me. But I ate fresh figs. It was like so delicious. And my first thought was this. No wonder Jesus was so upset when he couldn't find figs on that tree. You guys remember that story? My mind goes to weird places, okay? Uh, Mark 11, uh, it talks about um, they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. So he went to a fig tree in full leaf, okay? Just remember that, full leaf, to check there any figs. And when he couldn't find any, he says, he cursed the tree. May no one eat your fruit again. And when I first read the story, I'm like, man, Jesus, a little out of character for you. Like, I know you're hungry and all, but like cursing a tree? Like, where's the nice, gentle Jesus that, you know, cursing a tree? And my father-in-law shared something with me. He said, um, the difference between fig tree and many other trees, some fig trees, is that it bears fruit, okay, and then it, it, then it grows leaves. In other words, if you go to a leaved, a, a fig tree that has leaf, it has appearance that it should have fruit. In other words, this tree was deceptive. It showed other people it has fruit, but upon closer examination by Jesus, there was no fruit. And then Jesus cursed it. And then this revelation was dropped into my spirit. How many of us, how many churches in America are like this fig tree? We look good from the outside. We have leaves. We do the religious thing. We go to church. We look pretty. Preach good sermons. You know, for a church, great social media presence. You know, nice, pretty building. But upon closer examination, is there fruit in your life? So how do we bear fruit? How do we make sure that when Jesus comes and look, he can see there's fruit? You know, for me, the fruit is very, very 
like specific, it's very uh, obvious. Galatians chapter five, when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, if you look at these fruit, by and large, these fruits are operating in relationships. In other words, how do you practice patience and kindness and gentleness in isolation? How, how do you practice love? Oh, I can love God. Jesus actually said, if you want to love me, love other people. The fruit of the Spirit operates in relationships. You see, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I didn't automatically inherit the fruit of the Spirit. I was just as selfish, just as impatient, just as frustrated and angry as ever. I needed to practice the fruit of the Spirit. And do you know where is the training ground for practicing this? It's a Christ-centered community. It's each other. It's each other. It's in our relationships. You might think you're the most loving guy until you sit next to a guy in life group who contradicts everything you say. You might think you're the most patient person until you're mentoring or discipling someone and they just don't get it. They just don't get it. They keep going back to the same lifestyle. In these opportunities, we get to actually practice the fruit of the Spirit. I said this before. I don't even get to exercise love for my wife until we disagree, until there's a conflict. I don't even get to exercise patience until my kids start breaking things. I don't even get to exercise loyalty until Pastor Ron and I get into the argument or, or disagreement. Now is where I'm engaging my loyalty. Okay? Before that, we're just, I'm just doing my own agenda. I'm going with everything I agree with. But when I go into something I disagree with, not my opinion, I get to exercise loyalty. And this is why God gives us Christ-centered community. Because it's a safe place, it's a sacred place for us to practice the fruit of the Spirit. It's where you're encouraged to demonstrate peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And if you fall short, you have other people who love you and practice gentleness and kindness and love with you. When Jesus takes a closer look, is he going to find fruit? And he will if you are in the Christ-centered community. Quickly, I'm going to go to my third point. And to me, this is the greatest blessing of being in a Christ-centered community is this is where you leave your legacy. Look what Paul says to uh, the church in uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are glory and joy. See, this is what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, you know what I'm most proud of? What is my crown? What is my prize? After all these years of ministry and sacrifice and getting beat up and shipwrecked, what is my prize? Is it my teaching? Is it things? No, it's you. It's people. It's relationships. Spiritual legacy is our people and relationship. You know, as I'm getting older, I'm considering, like, how do I leave the greatest splash for the kingdom of God? Okay, how do I leave the greatest impact for Jesus on my you know, 80 or 90 or 100 years on earth, hopefully? How do I do that? I can't just think about the here and now. I have to think generationally. I have to think about spiritual sons and daughter. You know, like I learned long ago, what truly changes people is less what I teach them, but how I love them. Now, I think about what, 10 years ago when I first came to Crown Point, um, Pastor Ron and his family took me in as part of their family. Uh, I even made it to their Christmas card. <laughs> and um, sure, I learned a lot of wisdom. Uh, I stole a lot of nuggets from them. 
But you know what truly transformed my life? It was the late night chats. It was after ministry, you know, uh, just done. We go back to their house. It's Pastor Ron, Pastor Miriam, me, and a few of his kids sitting around uh, their island eating potato chips and just talking about life. It's the time spent. You know, it was, it, was, it was grieving together. It was encouraging me. It was the times in which I feel like I'm the biggest loser in the world, 30-year-old living in someone's basement, and my life's going nowhere. And Pastor Ron and Marion didn't say anything profound. They just encouraged me. They just told me, I got your back. I got your back. They just told me, you're on the right track. Those are the times that literally transform my heart and heal my heart. I think about my parents who years ago, about a decade ago, about the same time, just allowed me to go my own ways and learn my own lessons and make my own mistakes. They were way too wise to offer me direction or advice. But they call me and just tell me they're praying for me. They're praying for me. Even now, they call me all the time. Hey, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. Just loving me and supporting me from a distance. That changes my heart. That changes my life. I think about Bishop, going back to Bishop again. You know, when I was really struggling um, with courting my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Debbie, couldn't get over myself. I just couldn't get over myself. And Bishop, I would meet with Bishop regularly, committed to meeting with him. And he would tell me, he, 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 would, he would just encourage me and love me. And I could, honestly don't remember one thing he told me, like one nugget of wisdom he said. But just his presence in my life, the fact that he got my back, that, he, that a grandfather, like I have a grandfather like this, who got my back. Bishop has my back, gave me enough courage to deal with myself, to face myself and pursue Debbie the right way. I remember thinking about those moments. I'm just like, man, it really is the relationship that changed my heart and changed my life. What is spiritual legacy? I am their spiritual legacy, okay? It's not something crazy or weird. It's just people. I am their spiritual legacy. And the spiritual legacy is forged in the Christ-centered community. And to honor the, the, the spiritual legacy they have poured into my life, I'm doing the same. I'm focusing on relationship. I'm focusing on pouring my life into other people. But I know my greatest impact is not the sermon or, or messages or leadership gathering or whatnot. Those are good and those are helpful. Don't get me wrong. But I know the greatest impact is when I'm sitting down with guys late at night eating Taco Bell. Or, or other men grieving over losses and disappointments and just crying with them. Or how about the celebrating when they got a breakthrough, a financial breakthrough, a business endeavor. We're all crying out, asking God for the breakthrough. And then when the breakthrough came, we're celebrating with them. Those are the times in which we leave our spiritual legacy through Christ in our community. If you really care about leaving a legacy, you have to focus on relationships now. And I just have to add this point in. I know I'm running out of time. I have to add this last point in here. Nothing is more satisfying than when you see your spiritual son or your spiritual daughter go to another young man or woman and say, hey, I am committed to your success. When I see a young man I pour into, go to another young man and say that, I just know my impact, my legacy have just outlived me. It's just outlived me. I'm, it's beyond my lifetime. I can die and my legacy will live on. I don't want to, but if I did, my legacy will move on from there. And my heart overflows. And there's nothing in the world like it to see your spiritual legacy. Or even your biological, like your kids, move on and pour their lives into other people. You know, when Jesus says, I come so that you can have life and life to the full, that's what it means to me. It's when I see people, your legacy, live on in their legacy. 
And that, to me, is the greatest blessing of a Christ-centered community. So my question for you guys is, are you interested in being part of a CCC? Are you? So that's, that's the easier question. The harder question is, are you willing to pay the price? You heard my wife's testimony. We're not sugarcoating nothing. It's going to cost you. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be stressed. The junk in your heart is going to come out. But our commitment leadership is love you through it. But do you have a commitment to follow through, to pursue this, to let that junk come out and let the Holy Ghost wash you clean? You know, I know this is all maybe a little bit overwhelming, but there are some very practical steps to this. You know, if you are willing to commit to a life, uh, to, to a CCC, a Christ-centered um, community, I want to challenge you as you're leaving today, go by the Connection Center and grab a life group um, schedule. We have life groups meeting throughout um, the region almost, almost every day of the week. Um, look through those and commit yourself to one life group. Our life group meet in semesters. We meet in 10-week uh, 10 blocks. Commit yourself to these 10 weeks, okay? Commit yourself to these 10 weeks and pour your life into this community. Okay, see, our desires as pastors, we want you to be known, to be pastorally cared for, to be connected. And Sunday mornings might not, just be, might not be the best venue for that, okay? That's why we have life group, we have marriage class, we have celebrate recovery, uh, we have renovating you and, and the war and youth group, all these different communities. Be plugged in and commit yourself to this. I'm telling you, the price you might have to pay, the inconveniences, the time and energy is nothing compared to the reward of being plugged in in the Christ-centered community. Amen? Amen. I want to pray a blessing. You guys have a great Sunday. Um, no marriage class today, right? No marriage class. Have a good labor day. But let me pray a blessing for us. Father, even as we gather this morning, Lord, we just want to know your heart. We want every blessing you have for us. Jesus died when his blood broke down every barrier, every wall, so that we can truly be intimate, not just with you again, we can be intimate with each other again. And this is the reward. This is the bounty of your son, Jesus. And may we take full advantage of the inheritance you have given to your sons and daughters. And for all those who are dealing with loneliness and isolation and don't even know how to start, give us grace, Lord. Give us grace and help us as pastors to help guide and lead and pastor people and connect them to you and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, be blessed. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Make sure you grab a life group uh, sheet on your way out at the, uh, at the Connection Center. Have an awesome week.